Welcome to the Coming Out of the Dark Bible Study with Pastor John. Tonight's study will be in the book of 1 Corinthians. We invite you to join us at 514 Smithfield Avenue in Pawtucket, Rhode Island. For more teachings, please visit www.thewayministriesri.org. You may also contact Pastor John by email at thewayministries001 at gmail.com. To remind them this ministry is supported by you, so if you can, donate from our website so we can keep this going, because it's going to be hard to keep the funding going. We need, definitely need your help and support, so if the ministry is blessing you, please keep it going, amen? So we're just grateful for everybody. All right, we're going to continue our study in 1 Corinthians, but first got an awesome scripture on the board, Luke chapter 1, verse 78 and 79. Let's go there and let's read it. I couldn't wait to come to church tonight. It was crazy. It's like, you know, I'm just so grateful that we have this. You know, I remember growing up as a kid, like it was like you had to drag me to church. Now it's like, now that I really know, understand God and his ways, well, I want to be here. You know what I mean? It's just awesome. It's just such a difference, right, than religion, to have a relationship with him. Oh, God is good. Amen. All right, look at verse 78. Because of God's tender mercy, the morning light from heaven is about to break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide us to the path of peace. John was getting raised up to introduce the Messiah and he's our Prince of Peace and we have him, amen? We're just so grateful and that's an awesome scripture. To give light to those who sit in darkness. Right now there is so much darkness out there and we have so much light in us from being saved by Jesus and the, and the faith we have for the promises of God that we can shine so bright right now in these dark times and give people hope and assurance that if they have faith in Jesus, he's going to get them through any of that, all of this. Amen? It's not some religious thing. It's a personal relationship when we're not in church that we can have with him. When all this turmoil is out there, we have the word of God circulating in our hearts. Amen? It's an awesome thing, and people can get that understanding and want some of this. If they can see that joy in us and all this turmoil, they're going to be attracted to that and want some of it. And then you can show them how to get it, amen? It'd be an awesome opportunity to show them how you got it. Awesome, 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 right? I'm just so grateful that we can gather tonight. So we are on um, 1 Corinthians. We were going to begin chapter 7 tonight, but we just have to just back up a little, little bit to... As usual, to 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 19. The Apostle Paul was talking to the Corinthians. You can say the Corinth was kind of like New York City. These believers were in the middle of all kinds of uh, craziness. And, they, you know, God called them and they came. But they still had all that stuff still in them. And they were still using it and using it in church. And Paul had to come and correct them as usual. And he's Paul was good at what he did. Amen. We thank God for the Apostle Paul. He shows us how to live. It says in verse 19, Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Now, the Bible is saying when you become born again, the temple that was torn down is now being built inside of you. You are that temple now. 
And guess what? You're part of the, the whole temple is the church. Each one of us are parts of that temple. And when we're all together, that's when the temple is complete. Amen? That's why we have to gather. Look, the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God. You do not belong to yourself. One thing believers don't realize that we don't belong to ourselves anymore once we surrender to the Lord. He, he owns us now. And now the corrective part of his training is something that people don't want to talk about. But let me tell you something. God loves us so much. The corrective part of the Bible is good for us. Amen. We need to see it in a different light. Not like God's trying to take anything away from us. He's trying to take the things that are not good for us away from us and to see what's good. And really the things we thought were good were really not good. Amen. He shifts our perception on things. For God bought you with a high price. What's the price? The blood of his son. So you must honor God with your body. So we have to understand God wants us to take care of this temple because it belongs to him now. It doesn't belong to, it doesn't belong to you anymore. God bought it. So what did Paul mean when he said that our body belongs to God? Okay. Many people say that they have the right to do whatever they want with their own bodies. Okay. Although they think that is freedom, they are really enslaved to their own desires. When we become Christians, the Holy Spirit comes to live in us. Therefore, we no longer own our bodies. They have been bought. With the high price refers to slaves purchased at an auction. Christ's death freed us from sin, but also obligates us to his service. If you live in a building owned by someone else, you try not to violate the building's rules. Because your body belongs to God, you must not violate his standards for living. You see, he gives us this body. Now he owns this. I want you to take care of it for me, not for you anymore. You need to take care of this temple I've given you for me, not for you. So you could, he could build his church and his kingdom through you. That's why it's so important that we take care of our bodies and nourish them and feed them and watch out for things that can hurt it. And get an amen for that. You know, we self-destruct. Oh, I can do whatever I want. Yeah, we do whatever we want to our own destruction. When we start to do things for God, he heals our body because we no longer do the sinful things that we used to do. What kills us? Sin. It's all sin is what kills everybody. And our sin nature, and God wants to do away with our sin nature by what? Crucifying it and giving us a new life in him. And that's the part of, that Paul was trying to say, look, you need, you can't, you, I, I didn't save you so you could be the way you were. I saved you so you could be the people I created you to be. And I'm going to mold you and shape you into that image. And this is the process that we're going to use. And it's called the Bible, the owner's manual to our life. Amen? All right. So now we understand that. Now we can go to chapter seven. He's going to talk about marriage and, and sexual relations and all kinds of stuff there. Chapter 7 is a good chapter. See how we get into it. Is everybody with me tonight? All right? All right. I'm so glad that we have the Word of God. Amen? And we just read it in its purest form here. And we let the Holy Spirit teach us. It's not led by men. It's led by God. Amen? And it's the Word of God that has all the power. I don't have any power. It's what comes out. It comes, Me reading the Word has the power. God is using me as the vessel to get the word to you. I'm just anybody. Nobody can. But God is somebody. He made me somebody. 
Look what it says in verse 1. Now, regarding the questions you asked in your letter, yes, it's good to abstain from sexual relations or to live a celibate life. Greek reads, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. But there's so much sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife. Now, you've got to understand the context of Corinth. It was full of sexual immorality. So the only way we can get this under control, if you start to get, ma- if you get married, if you're going to burn with lust for somebody, marry them, he's trying to say. So you don't sin against your own body. Because there is so much sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife, and each woman should have her own husband. Now, the husband should fulfill the wife's sexual needs, and the wife should fulfill her husband's needs. The wife gives authority over her body to her husband, and the husband gives authority over his body to his wife. Do not deprive each other sexual relations unless you both agree to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time so you can give yourselves more completely to prayer. Sometimes they make a thing where they say, well, look, we're not going to do anything. We're going to pray right now. This is going to be a season of prayer. We're going to abstain from all of that and pray to the Lord. We're going to give ourselves, our bodies to the Lord for this season. But then it says it's important to come back together again. Afterward, you should come together again. Why? So that Satan won't be able to tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Now, if, if we can relate Corinth to America, it's the same thing about sexual immorality. It runs wild. It's like the norm in this country. Sexual, you know, if you get it, you know, don't worry about sex. You can protect yourself. Look, no, it's wrong. The Bible says it's wrong. And we should abstain from it. And just because we're Christians, should we just chime in with the world and say, well, everybody does it now and it's accepted out there. So uh, what's the big deal? No, it's a big deal to God. If you're going to do it, you get married. That's what the Bible says. I'm not going to, look, some of the hard stuff that the Bible talks about, I'm not going to, like, skip around it. I'm going to read right through it, because that's how we get to, into our spirit. Amen? Now, what was he talking about? Um, Christians in Corinth were surrounded by sexual temptation. Let me ask you a question. We in America, are we, are we surrounded by sexual temptation? Everywhere you go. <laughs> Billboards, schoolyards, and TV. Everybody's just showing everything. It's like, how can you not look? It's like everywhere. It's like, even if you try not to look somewhere else, it's there. It's so crazy, and it's become the norm in this country. And guess what? Christians are getting comfortable with it too. And they're just allowing it and falling into it. Now, is it, should a mature believer say that they mature? Can they fall into that? Absolutely. But let me tell you something. If you're a mature Christian, you let this Bible speak to you and say, look, I'm not going there. It's bad, and I don't want anybody to think it's okay. Even people in church. Now, look what it says. The city had a reputation, even among pagans, for sexual immorality and religious prostitution. It was to this kind of society that Paul delivered these instructions on sex and marriage. The Corinthians needed special specific instructions because of their culture's immoral standards. For more on Paul's teaching, we could see that in Ephesians chapter 5. He talks about the marriage and how it's all supposed to be. Now, are we in the same, are we in the same predicament that they were in this country? The same predicament. So this, this book of 1 Corinthians it will do a lot, do us a lot of good right now, won't it? To go by the way of this. 
Sexual temptations are difficult to withstand. You know why? Because they appeal to the normal and natural desires that God has given us. Marriage provides God's way to satisfy these natural sexual desires and to strengthen the partners against temptation. Married couples have the responsibility to care for each other. Therefore, husbands and wives should not withhold themselves sexually from one another, but should fulfill each other's sexual desires. Amen? The Corinthian church was in turmoil because of that around them. They were rejecting immorality, rejected sex. Some of the Greeks were rejecting immorality. They were saying, you shouldn't have sex at all, ever. There was, there was such a twist going on in their heads. There's a twist going on in our heads in the way the world, the world is today, right? Was that all right to do that? Well, you know, everybody's doing it now. Why do I have to wait till I get married? Because God said to. That's why. Now look what it says. So Satan won't be because of your lack of... Look at verse 6. I say this as a concession, not as a command. But I wish everyone were single just as I am, yet each person has a special gift from God, one of, of one kind or another. So I say to those who aren't married and to widows, it's better to stay unmarried just as I am. But if they can't control themselves... They should go ahead and marry. It's better to marry than to burn with lust. But for those who are married, I have, I have a command that comes not from me, but from the Lord. Okay? We're going to see in Matthew 5.32, it's in all of New Testament. A wife must not leave her husband, but if she does leave him, let her remain single or else be reconciled to him. And the husband must not leave his wife. Now I speak to the rest of you, though I do not have a direct command from the Lord. If a fellow believer has a wife who is not a believer, and she is willing to continue living with him, he must not leave her. And if a believing woman has a husband who is not a believer, and he is willing to continue living with her, she must not leave him. For the believing wife brings holiness to her marriage, and the believing husband brings holiness to his marriage. Otherwise, your children would not be holy, but now they are holy. Now look what it says. But if the husband or wife who isn't a believer insists on leaving, let them go. See, here's one thing. Just because you become a believer and your partner is not, the Bible says that's not a reason to leave them. It's a reason to get them saved. You're to stay with them and win them over to Christ, Paul said. Now, is that me? Pre no, that's the Bible. That's what the Bible says. A lot of times saying, well, we're unequally yoked. Well, you know what? If you got saved after you got married and they're not saved yet and they want to stay with you, the Bible says your testimony can help them get saved. So it's not about you anymore. And the vice versa. It's just, look, it says, there's no, look, at, in such cases, the believing husband is no longer bound to the other for God has called you to live in peace. Look at verse 16. Don't you wives realize that your husbands might be saved because of you? See it? Now, here's the thing. Now, if you have a husband and you're a Christian and you're growing, you're to, your love, you have to understand that they don't have what you have. So you have to what? Act like Christ in that marriage so they will want Christ. But if you go down to their level, it would be very hard to act like Christ because now they're taking you off the table. So you have to understand it's so important for somebody to grow in Christ that's a believer so you can win them over and they can see something in you. 
They can see Christ in you. Amen? That's why it's so important to grow spiritually. But let me tell you something. That's tough. That's a tough situation. Wouldn't you agree? Somebody following Jesus and the other one's not. That's a tough situation. But the Bible says not to leave them because of it. Now look what it says. This is what it says. Okay, no longer bound to the other. Do you guys realize that your husband might be saved because of you? And don't your husbands realize that your wives might be saved because of you? Each of you should continue to live in every situation the Lord has placed you and remain as you were when God first called you. This is my rule for all the churches. He didn't say just for Corinth, no. He said for all the churches. For instance, a man who was circumcised before he became a believer should not try to reverse it. And a man who was uncircumcised when he became a believer should not be circumcised now, for it makes no difference whether or not a man has been circumcised. The, all, the important thing is to keep God's commandments. Do you see it? It's not an outward thing, it's an inward thing. Getting circumcised doesn't prove anything. It doesn't prove that you love the Lord. It's just an outward thing. What's important is to keep God's word. You see it? Now let me just talk about that a little bit before we keep going. Let me just say something. The ceremony of circumcision was an important part of the Jews' relationship with God. Okay. In fact, before Christ came, circumcision was commanded by God for those who claimed to follow him. But after Christ's death, circumcision was no longer necessary. Pleasing God and obeying him are more important than observing traditional ceremonies. Amen? See it? Pleasing God in what? How do you please God? What pleases God? Obeying God. Not just coming to church and reading your Bible. Obeying God is what pleases God. We read the Bible so we can obey God. And we get the word into our heart so we can be transformed into a believer in Jesus Christ. And people will see Jesus Christ. They will see somebody different. Remember the Apostle Paul, his name was what before he got transformed? Saul, he was so different that his name changed. Now let me ask you this question. You ever believe in are you, are you enough? Are you different enough from the people who used to know you to know that you're a believer in Christ now? Enough to say that my name could change? They don't even know that guy anymore. Or they still see the same person. That shows where your level of growth is. Not how many times you come to church or how many times you read the Bible. It's whether the transformation took place. If you came out a butterfly, and are you flying around or you're still crawling? Because the, the serpent crawls on his belly, right? Like caterpillars do. But the butterfly flies free in Christ. Amen? We're free from our what? Our sin nature. So we could be a living example of God working in us. A living example. The word of God is the living word of God. We could be, here's another one. We may become so concerned about what we could be doing for our God somewhere else that we miss great opportunities right where we are. Okay? Paul says that when you become a Christian, you should continue with the work you have previously been doing, provided it isn't immoral or unethical. Every job can become Christian work when you realize that it can be an opportunity to honor, serve, and speak out for Christ. My job is an opportunity to get people saved. That's my mission field. I don't have to go overseas. I can go right here. This is the mission field. People want to do that. That's Go ahead. If that God's calling you to do it. But Paul said specifically, every job, every job can be Christian work. Wherever you go. Your, your, is a mission field. 
Amen. How many of us go to work every day? How many people around that are unbelievers? How many, how many, you can shine for Christ and get people saved. And that's where they're going to see a difference in you as you grow and mature. Every time you see them people every day, they start to see a different person. They start to see you more polite, more calm, more gentle than the way you used to be. That's the awesome, that's the, that's the testimony. You can jump over on a boat, go somewhere else and, and be holier than thou and everything. But they say, well, how are you? You know, you can just be playing that off. Is that the real you? Can I burn an amen for that? I, I get up every morning. It's a mission field. From when I get into my car to when I go and get a coffee, Every, my whole routine is a mission field. An opportunity to bring people to Jesus. And if you can't talk about Jesus, guess what? The opportunity to be like him is everywhere. You always have him. He's in you. Everywhere. Everywhere. Even in the times when you don't feel like it. God wants you. Look, when you see people that are rubbing you wrong, then he doesn't want you to be like Jonah and run the other way. He wants you to be a living example of Christ where you can just stay calm, stable, and not blow off the top, off the handle. And that's that's where he's testing us. And when you keep doing that, that's all right to give you nothing. Look, you never get rid of them people. The only way to get rid of them is by what? Kindness and love. That's how you change somebody. With kindness and love and good deeds. That's how we transform. Amen? Oh, I, I don't need to go anywhere. I get up in the morning, the mission's on. And not only is the mission feel all around me, the mission feels in my head when I go to pray. When I go to pray and start thinking, it's really showing what's going on inside my mind that needs to get renewed. My heart's been transformed. God's in there. But my mind is still full of like some sick things. And I have to evaluate what I'm thinking all the time. Like, what are you thinking? Especially when I pray, I'm saying, John, what the heck did that come from? This is crazy. But it's true. God is trying to show us where our minds are. When we go to prayer and something weird comes into our mind, say our mind is infected in that area somewhere. He's trying to show us us. What's in my mind that has to get pushed out. And what an amen for that. And this church is all about pushing that nonsense out and putting this in here instead. We already have the heart of God, but this mind has to get renewed. And that's a constant effort and evaluation. Amen? Look, so look, they say, look, we have to understand what God wants us to do, okay? Now it says, each of you should remain, verse 20, as you were when God called you. Are you a slave? Don't let that worry you. But if you get a chance to be free, take it. See it? And remember, if you were a slave when the Lord called you, you are now free in the Lord. Say you were in bondage to something when God called you. And he freed you from that bondage of sin that you were in. You're now free of it. Look what it says. And if you were free when the Lord called you, you are now a slave for Christ. So, if, <laughs> so God paid a high price for you. So don't be enslaved by what? Now see, it doesn't say about... It doesn't say enslaved by drugs and everything else. It says don't be enslaved by the world. Now that has a big, the world has a lot of things to be enslaved to. Not just drugs and alcohol. You can be enslaved to money, lust, possessions, all these things. And it tells us not to be enslaved to that. And you know what you're enslaved to when you wake up in the morning, what comes into your mind first is usually what's taking priority in your life. 
That's what God is trying to show you. But the first thing that comes to mind in the morning when you wake up, you'll know exactly where your priorities are. When you wake up and Jesus is there, then you know you got your priorities right. But if you wake up, oh, I got to go check. I got to do this and I got to make sure of that first. Then you know it's trumping over God. It's an idol. God is trying to show you. He loves you. He wants you to see what it is, though. He's not condemning you. He just wants you to see what's taking place in your heart over him. How about an amen for that? So let me ask you this. Let me challenge you. Tomorrow when you wake up, the first thing that you think about, then you say to yourself, is it God? And then you'll know where you're at. Or is it my money? Or is it where I'm going to go today? Or what am I going to eat? Get it? I'm working on that. Some days are better than others for me. Some days I'm not thinking at all. <laughs> Some days I get up, it's like scrambled eggs. I don't know what to think. Sometimes I get beat up in my sleep, in my dreams. It's like, I wake up, am I still alive? Oh my God, like spiritual warfare in my dreams. I'm like, whoa, did that really happen? And sometimes it feels so real. <laughs> I love it. Now look what it says. God paid a high price, verse 23, for you. So don't be enslaved by the world or don't become slaves of people. Each of you, dear brothers and sisters, look what he's saying, should remain as you were when God first called you. Wherever you got saved, God says, that's your mission field. If you got saved and you were in that place, I happened to get saved when I was doing some work and uh, step 11 for the thing I was doing. That's why I operate in that to get people saved because I have experience with that. Amen? Wherever when God first called you, there's your mission. He wants you to stay there and operate in it. This is why you to jump out of it. It's a place where you can help other people because you have an experience there. That's where you want. You say, well, God's, what's God's plan for my life? Just remember what you got, when you got saved. And that's where he wants you to operate, where you could actually be a testimony to the people that are enslaved to what you got saved from. Very simple. It's not that hard to figure out. It says it right here. Each of you should remain as you were when God called you. Are you a slave? Don't let that worry you. But if you're a chance, get free. And remember, if you were a slave when the Lord called you, you're free in the Lord. And if you were free when the Lord called you, you're now a slave for Christ. I don't know about you, but I'm a slave for Christ now. I don't, this, this is like, I can't even explain it. Jeremiah explained it better than me. He said, no, Lord, I'm not, this isn't working out the way I planned. I'm never going to speak about you again. And I'm like, and he's like, but something burned inside of me like I could not not do it. I have to do it. I'm enslaved to it. I'm possessed by Jesus today. Thank God I am. If people call me a Jesus freak, that's a compliment. Because he's possessing me and not the devil. It's a compliment to be called a Jesus freak. Because let me tell you something. We're reading the um, Daily Walk. Remember Paul? I mean, um, David, he was dancing in the street, worshiping the Lord. His wife got mad at him. Said, "What are you nuts? What are you doing that? It's embarrassing." He says, "I don't care. I'm worshiping God, and God honored him for that." A lot of people are embarrassed to talk about Jesus and worship the Lord. Not me, because nobody else can save me but Him. I'm glorifying Him everywhere. I mean, I talk to Him in the car. People must be thinking I'm nuts. I don't know what it is, but I talk to the Lord all the time, and I'm not on the phone. <laughs> But people might think that now because everybody is, right? Now look what it says. God paid a high price for you. Look what it says. Don't be enslaved by the world. Each you should remain. Look at verse 25. 
Now, regarding your question about young women who are not married, I do not have a command for the Lord for them, but the Lord in His mercy has given me wisdom that can be trusted, and I will share it with you. Because of the present crisis, he was saying, or the pressures of life, I think it's best to remain as you are. If you have a wife, do not seek to end the marriage. If you do not have a wife, do not seek to get married. But if you do get married, it is not a sin. And if, and if a young woman gets married, it is not a sin. However, those who get married at this time will have troubles. And I'm trying to spare you of them problems. Now, he was talking about the present time in Corinth. Now, who the heck knows what was going on over there? But there must have been a lot of crazy stuff. He's saying, I'm trying to save you a lot of troubles. But let me say this, dear brother. The time remained is very short. From now on, those with wives should not focus only on their marriage. Those who weep or rejoice or who buy things should not be absorbed by their weeping or their joy or their possessions. Those who use the things of the world should not become attached to them. So we know we have to use things of the world, but it's saying, don't let that be an attachment to you, and if God takes it away, be okay with it. For this world as we know it will soon pass away. Boy, I'm telling you, it seems like it's getting close, ain't it? I want you to be free. Listen to what it says. I want you to be free from the concerns of this life. You see it? An unmarried woman can spend his, a man can spend his time doing the Lord's work and thinking how to please him. But a married man has to think about his earthly responsibility and how to please his wife. His interests are divided. In the same way, a woman who is no longer married, who has never been married, can be devoted to the Lord in holy in body and in spirit. But a married woman who has to think about her earthly responsibilities and how to please her husband. See, that's what it is. So if people that are single, God's, you know, Paul's saying, look, you have a bigger opportunity to serve God now and avoid the problems of being devoted to two. You can be devoted to the Lord. And that might be the reason why you're not married. I don't know. I'm not God. God knows. He knows best for us. Now look what it says. I'm saying this for your benefit. Not to place, not to place restrictions on you. He's saying it for what? Your benefit. See, everything the Word of God is, listen, it's for our benefit. Whenever you snarl at something in the Word of God, it's because your heart is in the wrong condition. It's for our benefit. Whatever the words, it might be hard for us, but it's, it's for our benefit. Can I get an amen for that? Everything that I'm saying in the Word of God is for our benefit. Not to place restrictions. I want you to do whatever, look what he says. I want you to do whatever will help you serve the Lord best. You see it? And as with few distractions as possible. This country we live in is full of distractions. Come on, let's, let's get real here. How many distractions are there from serving the Lord? Me personally, I'd like to get absorbed in God's work so the distractions are all get distracted from that. When I have responsibilities doing the Lord's work, it keeps me from all them distractions. And I, this, this is what I get focused on right here, doing God's work. You see, that's why when you get involved in ministry, it gets you, it keeps you from getting distracted by all that stuff and living for yourself. It, it gives you the reason to live for God while you really were created to live for God. And when you do live for God, let me tell you something, it's so much more of a joy to do things for God. Look, there is no pleasure in doing things for yourself eternally. There's nothing pleasurable about that. 
It'll all get burned up. Let me tell you something. When you're in God's will, doing his will down here, that's when you achieve the joy in the Lord. But when you're absorbed with your own needs and desires and you're not serving God why God saved you, you're not going to get the benefits of the Bible. It ain't going to happen. You're going to be one of the lemon juice Christians. Coming to church, always miserable, full of problems. Instead of just understanding that I'm not full of problems anymore. God's taken away all my problems. All I got to do is live for him now. My problems are gone. When I'm living for myself, full of problems. That's what he's trying to say. Live for me. There goes the problems are gone. But that's the process of sanctification. Not, a, we're not all of us are ready to give up all that stuff. So he pulls it away slowly. Some, some of us never get the Lord to use them because they're not willing to give up the things that keep them comfortable down here. Let me tell you something. God wants us to be uncomfortable down here because this isn't our permanent home. Our permanent home is in heaven. He doesn't want us to find comfort in the world. He wants us to find comfort in him. Can I get an amen for that? And Christians still go to the world for their comfort. Not this one. I don't want the comfort in the world anymore because that doesn't give me the same result as God's comfort. This is eternal comfort that touches my soul and eases my heart. I'm not always worrying about everything that's going on or what's going to happen from one day to the next. And the Bible says in Matthew, like the pagans do, worrying about what they eat, where my money's going to be, all these things. That, 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 that stuff possesses the unbelievers. It shouldn't be possessing believers. There's no joy in that. There's no difference between, that's why you can't see the difference between a believer and an unbeliever out there, because they're all concerned about this life. How about an amen for that? I already gave my life to Jesus. I said, I'm all in with this. Listen, this is the kind of guy I am. It's all or nothing for me. It's either all Jesus or all the devil. I can't have both. I can't teeter-totter with God. It's either I'm off or I'm on. So I said, you know what? You know, I'm all in. Take me, Lord. And let me tell you something. He's molding and shaping me like I never thought I could. He's doing things that I never thought I could do in me. It's unbelievable. But I have to willfully give myself to him. I'm yours, Lord. Use me. But he says, yeah, John, I want to use you, but I got to purify you. There's some things in you that aren't good. And I got to get rid of them. Will you let me is the question. And if you will let me, then I will use you. If you won't let me get rid of them, then I can't use you and you won't hear from me. Remember Saul? He disobeyed, he started getting rebellious and disobedient. He couldn't hear the voice of God anymore. Why? Because he was absorbed in himself, in his own sin. And he couldn't know what direction to go in, so he goes and calls a medium. Something that they was forbidden to do. But he couldn't hear the voice of God, but there's a reason why he couldn't hear the voice of God, because he was rebelling against God and doing things against God. So it's the same thing for a Christian. If you're doing things against God, you're not going to hear from him. It's the same thing. Okay. Am I getting across okay tonight? Well, I love the Word of God. It's so powerful. Now, look what it says. Look at verse 35. I'm saying this for your benefit, not to place restrictions on you. I want you to do whatever will help you serve the Lord best with as few distractions as possible. But if a man thinks he's treating his fiancée improperly and will inevitably give in to his passion, let him marry her as he wishes. It is not a sin. But if he has decided firmly not to marry and there is no urgency and he can control his passion 
he does well not to marry. So the person who marries his fiancé does well, and the person who doesn't marry her does even better, he says. <laughs> That's the Bible. Don't throw tomatoes at me. And I'm not going to skip over the verses. This is what they say. Don't shoot the messenger. <laughs> a wife, look at it says, a wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives. If her husband dies, she is free to marry anyone she wishes, but only if he loves the Lord. You see it? Only if he loves the Lord, or vice versa, but only in the Lord. But in my opinion, it would be better to stay, for her to stay single, and I think I am giving you counsel from God's Spirit when I say this. So what they're saying, if the person you are with passes away and you're a believer, you're not to re not to marry an unbeliever. Because you're, because <laughs> you ain't gonna convert them. It says not to marry an unbeliever. It says it right here. But my, I like what he says, but in my opinion, better for you to stay single. And I think I'm giving you counsel from God's Spirit when I say this. Paul is awesome, isn't he? He doesn't pull any punches with people, especially with them. Now, the Corinthians, you could imagine what their lifestyle was like. If they lived like New York in, in, the, in the middle of New York with no God, you could just imagine what everything was. There was prostitutes in church. There was all kinds of stuff going on back then. And then imagine Paul saying, well, now you can't do that anymore. And you know they don't want to do it anymore, but you know it was in there. They had to get worked out of them. It's like we're getting the stuff worked out of us. That's why we come to church. It's a hospital for sinners that are healing from sin. None of us are perfect. We're getting perfected, though. That's why we come here, to get perfected. So we can do the work of the ministry. All right, let's go to chapter 8. Let's start off in chapter 8. We've got a few minutes. I want to start this chapter. It's a good chapter. Everybody there? Here's another one. I love this one. Now, regarding your question about food that has been offered to idols, yes, we know that we have knowledge, we all have knowledge about this issue. But while knowledge makes us feel, knowledge makes us feel important, it is love that strengthens the church. You see it? Anyone who claims to know all the answers doesn't really know very much. I love that. There's Christians I talked to that had all the answers of the Bible. They got it all deciphered and they figured it all out. They have all the answers. And it says it right here. They really don't know very much at all. You know who knows all? God knows all. When you get in that word with God, he will reveal to you what you need to get revealed to you. We don't need a middleman, remember? God did away with the middleman. That's why we got a new covenant. We got Jesus now, right? We go right to him. And Jesus is who? Jesus is where? He's in here. This is Jesus. You want Jesus to talk to you? He wants to talk to you. Look, he's got a lot to say to you. From Genesis to Revelations. I love the Bible. It said, let God be true, let every man be a liar. Now look what it says. But the person who loves God is the one whom God recognizes. Wow. You mean I don't have to be smart? No, it says the person who loves God is the one whom God recognizes. Wow, what can we tie that in with? 
How about King David? They were looking for prominence, right? The, the brothers were all handsome and tall. They went to all the brothers first. David was a sheep herder, shepherd, right? They went to him last. Look, but you know what? He had a heart for God. He loved the Lord. And that's who God used. Someone who loved the Lord. Not someone that was, but he was a good looking guy, but it wasn't somebody with prominence and stature and all brains. Yeah, that's good, see? Yeah, he just hit it again. This is what I'm talking about. This is awesome. Let me um talk about that a little before we close. Because right, this will be the last we'll close on this one. Let me get there. Meat bought in the marketplace was likely to have been offered to an idol. This is what he was talking about. In one of the many pagan temples. Animals were brought to a temple, killed before an idol as part of a pagan religious ceremony and eaten at a feast to the idol or taken to butchers who sold the meat in the marketplace. The believers wondered if by eating such meat, they were somehow participating in the worship of idols. They knew that it was it was offered to idols, and so they figured if they ate it, they figured they were contributing to that somehow. They weren't sure. Now it says, now it says love is more important than knowledge. How about an amen for that? Love is more important than knowledge. Believe it, get that in your head. Love is more important than knowledge. Love is more important than knowledge. Knowledge can make us look good and feel important, but we can all too easily develop an arrogant, know-it-all attitude. Many people with strong opinions are unwilling to listen to and learn from God and others. Oh. I know. I, there's people that, yeah, I know. We can obtain God's knowledge only by loving Him. <laughs> right? James says it in 3.17. As a matter of fact, and we can know and be known by God only when we model Him by showing love. Before we close, let's go to James 3.17. Here's how we get knowledge. Look what it says. Go to James 3.17 before we'll close there. Who wants wisdom from above? Here's what it says. Look what James says about wisdom from above. Everybody there? But the wisdom from above is first of all pure. That's from God. It is also peace-loving, gentle at all times, and willing to yield to others. It is full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds. It shows no favoritism and is always sincere. And those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. That is the wisdom from above. How about an amen for that? Let's read it again. The wisdom is pure, peace-loving, gentle at all times, willing to yield to others, full of mercy and fruit of good deeds. It shows no favoritism and is always sincere. And those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. That's the kind of wisdom we're trying to get here. And it's only through the word of God. You don't get that any other way but through God. The wisdom from above. Who wants wisdom from above? I do. Who wants wisdom from this world? Well, you go to the world to get that wisdom. But if you want wisdom from above, it comes right from here and it shows itself through what? Love. Mercy. Shows no favor to willing to yield to people. Gentle at all times. I'm saying, whoa, Lord. Give me some of that, please. It says gentle at all times. 
all times and willing to yield to others. You know, like, go ahead, my friend. You know when somebody cuts in front of you? Willing to yield to them. Say, okay, I guess they had to get there faster than me. Instead of what, slowing down and aggravating them? Pull over and let them pass you. Amen? All right. <laughs> All right, we're going to close there. Thank you. We'll continue when we get together again. That was a great service.